Over the next three Sundays, we will focus on the fact that we can do more together, especially when it comes to the work and ministry of reaching out to children and youth and sharing with them the message of Jesus Christ. Um, You saw in your bulletin an insert there and uh, this morning earlier when I was in the office with Jared, he said to me, he said, mention this at least 12 times during your sermon. Um, I don't know that I will reach 12 times, but I do want to draw it to your attention and to say to you that we will be reflecting together, um, not only today, but over these next three Sundays about this important topic of how we might use our lives to effectively uh, care for those whom God has sent our way, those children and youth in our midst and those that he still wishes to gather in and make a part of his kingdom work. As I am speaking to you, Let me share that I am grateful for those that are volunteering even now as I speak these words that are over in Main Street Hallway and are working with our children and youth. I know that some of you have had your place and your time and in that location to help care for those that are there. 52 weeks out of the year, we are given the opportunity of expressing to children and youth that we call park kids and park students, expressing to them that they are loved by us and loved by God. I was speaking with a teacher just recently and she was sharing with me about a situation in a public school where she works and she said that there was a fourth grader on a Friday who broke down and was wailing, crying so hard that they were uncontainable. They were uncontrollable in their anguish. And the reason that the child was so out of character was because the child did not want to leave the school to go home. Now, if you ask yourself the question, how could that possibly be? Maybe you do not understand some of the situations from which our children in our school systems come. Such a sad story of life. Scripture here today starts for us a remembrance of Nehemiah's tears at the terrible tragedy of Jerusalem, that city that was once great and attracted the attention of countries all over the world how it had fallen into this great destruction that had been brought on it by the country of Babylon. It was the intent of Nebuchadnezzar not simply to destroy Jerusalem, but to demoralize the people 
that were connected with that city, most of whom he carried off into exile in his own country, some whom he left there in that dismantled city in order to eke out their existence. It was years that had gone by, in fact, decades, that Nehemiah had wondered what might be going on in Jerusalem. He consulted a brother of his that had been to that location and brought back an answer that things that were going on in Jerusalem were absolutely dire and that the people that were living there were in no way rebuilding the city. They were at a point of such discouragement and despair at just the overwhelming nature of the destruction that had befallen them. Jerusalem was intentionally left in ruins. Forty years until an opportunity was given for those who cared about this city and who had been in exile were given the opportunity to return. Here in the reading this morning, you picked up on the fact that Nehemiah, whom we know very little about, was a man who was gripped to pray. He shared his grief with God and he shared his confession with God because he knew that his parents and grandparents, the generations that had gone before him, had been a part of what had made that great city fall. The decisions that they had made that were not in accord with what God had in store for them. And he was confessing and included himself as well as one of those who needed God's forgiveness. He was fully engaged as he longed for the restoration of life as it should be. One of my earliest memories was an opportunity that I had to spend with my grandparents up in Cartersville, Georgia, just above Atlanta. It wasn't the most ideal of situations. I loved my grandparents, but the occasion for this was when I was about four years old and my brother and I were dropped off in Cartersville at my grandparents' house for a week's stay while my parents took my younger sister who was too young to be left with my grandparents alone at that time. My parents went on a long vacation up to see Niagara Falls. Now I could care less about Niagara Falls. But let me tell you, 
that my heart was broken and I longed all week to see my mother and daddy again. When they finally showed up a week later, I ran out to see them in the driveway of that little country home and I grabbed my mother around the neck and I can still remember that I was unable to stop the sobs that were coming from my gut. I was so gripped by longing that when my mother asked me what's wrong, I could not describe to, you, to her what was going on in my heart. Can you imagine where Nehemiah was? He had been brought up with this picture that his parents had painted for him of what life in Jerusalem had been before Babylon had come in and crushed it and how he longed for life to be normal again. Normal in the sense that people's hearts were directed toward God. And in all things, they gave God the attention that God deserves. He may have thought to himself for years, Someone needs to do something. Have you ever thought about that in regards to the church? Someone needs to do something or in the community. Someone needs to do something in order to fix a problem. I tell you that that's part of what you and I must consider. That is when we speak that statement that we remember that we may be the someone that God is waiting on to do the very work that we wish to see done. The first thing that one has to do in looking at a situation is to name what's broken. It's not very hard to read through this book of Nehemiah. There are only 13 chapters here. And I hope that you will consider reading it through even this afternoon to gain a perspective on how Nehemiah, who was given an opportunity to return to Jerusalem, how he looked at the situation over and evaluated and knew exactly what needed to be done, that the walls needed to be rebuilt in order that the city itself could redefine itself as being this city of God once again and how he called upon all of the families in those places where they were closest to a gate or closest to the wall to do the work of rebuilding. There are some people that get called in nostalgia that just simply dream for the days that used to be. I know that I've heard some of you here talk of nostalgically about the good old days of Pittman Park Church when there was but one worship service and chairs had to be brought into this sanctuary. Some of you will remember that. And now you and I are here and have much space for other people to sit around us. Am I right? 
Is there something in your heart that longs nostalgically for being able to see the church filled to overflowing at a time of worship even now? I hope that that's the case, but I hope that you will not be caught in that nostalgia for the way things used to be. When I walk down the hallway and I see the pictures of the building of this sanctuary, when it was brand new, there's something in me that longs for that newness that was a part of what must have been there, but I do not wish to be caught in that nostalgia because that nostalgia will serve us no good purpose. God is not calling us into the past. God is calling us into the future. Some of you know that just recently we have put a new roof on this church. Those of you who are brand new to Pittman Park and are visiting here today would not realize that we had a roof that had more leaks than we could count. And we are grateful today to have a new roof over our heads and you have, have come together in a beautiful way as a congregation to make that possible. But I wanna tell you that left to our own devices, we might be still sitting here with water dripping on our heads. If it weren't for one gentleman in this congregation who came to my office now some four years ago and said, we must do something about this now. And with his resolve and his commitment to be fully involved, he convinced me that we should no longer wait. What a beautiful thing it is to see this happening. Not just simply looking nostalgically into the past to see the way things were, but looking into the future to, to see the way things might be. And so that brings me around once again. Have I mentioned to you that there's a bulletin insert? <laughs> an opportunity for us to think in different ways about how we might be dedicated to some rebuilding and defining of an important ministry to which all of us are called. I've heard so many people say that children and youth ministry is important because it is the future of the church and I wanna say, hold it there. Hold it there. Children and youth ministry is not important because the children and youth are the future of the church. Children and youth are the present of the church. You and I, if we have an idea that they are just about to become the church, don't understand how critical this ministry is. They are the church now. And you and I are called to care for them as Christ's own. Don't you remember how the disciples tried to keep the children separate from Jesus? how they thought this at best was a distraction. And when the children gathered close to Jesus, they saw approval in his eyes. 
And Jesus welcomed them in close and he reprimanded the disciples who did not understand that this is the very church that he is calling. And when we plant the seeds of Christ in these hearts, they are the church at that instant. How will we find ourselves doing this in the days ahead? You and I will come to it and we say, because I've heard some of you say, this job's too big for me. I don't have the skills that it takes to teach or lead children in youth ministry. I've heard you say this. That's the argument of so many. I don't have the skills, the job's too big for me. And some of you, even though you don't say it, I can see it on your faces. Some of you say, I'm too big for this job. Both of those are places we don't want to be. We can do more together. As Nehemiah spoke to his people in Jerusalem, as he surveyed the scene, he knew that he could not do it by himself. He knew it would take everyone working together. And even then, it was going to be a long process to which the community had to invest itself in order to make even slight visible advances over the course of more than a decade in order to turn that city around and to let it become defined again as God's holy city. When I look into Main Street Hallway, I wanna tell you that I'm encouraged when I look at our children and youth and the point of check-in there, I walk past and there is someone always at that station. It might be a doctor, might be a lawyer, it might be a truck driver or a mechanic. All of these have taken their place. It might be an engineer or a policeman, a nurse or a teacher are an administrator. The question is, have you found your place in helping with our children and our youth? We can do more together. You would think that Nehemiah must have been a Levite, a priest, someone that was skilled to do the work of governing the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Do you know what his profession was, at least in Babylon? We don't know the story of what he was before that. But in Babylon, he was a cup holder for the king. It was his job to taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poison. Some of you are saying, that would be a good job to have. He was the cup holder for the king. But he had no skills to bring. No skills to bring to that work. But it did not deter him from getting involved and encouraging others to make it their own as well. Willingness to serve is absolutely crucial. Have I mentioned this bulletin insert to you? 
I have had more than one come to me and say, after having served on a Sunday morning in children and youth ministries, with all sincerity, they say to me, I always get more out of this than I put in. Which is not to say it's not a commitment. Because there is a cost factor if there's anything significant that will come of it. Our time, our energy, our resources, all of this though contributes to a greater picture of who we see ourselves being. And that larger picture as we're talking about it, I hope you have an idea of what Nehemiah was seeing when he went back into Jerusalem. Because his picture did not include simply making the temple its right spot for worship again. But his concern was that the entirety of the community be set in right relationship to God. And I remind you and ask you, who's thinking about a fourth grade child right now who is longing to be back at school near a teacher who might have shown him some kindness, so much so that he would rather be there than in his home. You and I have an opportunity. And as Nehemiah lifted up his prayers to God, God was attentive to him. And I ask you, are you lifting up these prayers to God? Are you seeking to offer who you are and what gifts you have in order that not only this church might be blessed, that our children and youth might be blessed, but all of the children in this community might be blessed. I tell you, we can do more together. We must open our eyes. We must open our hearts to those youth and families, those children that God wishes us to be connected with and to care for. Can you imagine this? Giving every child in our community someone who will share deeply the love of Christ that they might know that God cares for every ounce of who they are. As we come to Christ's table of holy grace, I want to ask that you would take the communion liturgy that is on this laminated sheet and focus your heart and give of yourself to him completely at this time.